Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez Podcast. My name is Lou Perez. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to theluperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. You get to listen to podcasts early and you get to watch some sketch comedy early as well. So please head over there. I need you. I need you so much. Also, I got something you guys need right now too, and that's my next guest. Please give it up for Mr. Christopher Ferguson, author of How Madness Shaped History, as well as a professor at Stetson University, is it? It's Stetson University. It's named after the hat guy. That's the there, one. There, there we go. I, I, um, when, you, when you told me about that, I was thinking if there, there might be a competition with the Fedora Community College <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'd be all for that. Yeah, The, the, old, <laughs> the old rivals. Um, so um, your book, um, How Madness Shaped History, uh, just came out, right? Not too long ago? It, it came out at the best possible time, which is at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's like the worst possible time for a book to come out, uh, which I learned. Because everybody, like the whole publishing house is closed. You know, oh, like, really? So, yeah. Are my books shipping out? Well, I don't know. We're, we're in isolation. So uh, it was a, it was this real strange time uh, for the book to come out, for sure. Uh, you know, not that my problems with my book are the same as, you know, a lot of other people's going through this, but, uh, no, it came out around March of, uh, of 2020. Uh, okay. so it's been out for a little bit now. Yeah. Yeah. Around that time, everybody was hoarding, uh, you know, hand sanitizer and bullets and, toilet uh, paper. yeah, yeah. And toilet <laughs> yeah, paper. <laughs> so yeah, it would be, it would be bad. I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta say it's a hard cover. This is not going to feel good as toilet paper. So you made it. You have to worry about splinters. You yeah. Know, so yeah, uh, exactly. But that, that must be weird though. I mean, you know, talking about uh, madness during a pandemic. And one of the things that I struggled with was basically trying to uh, figure out where the science ended and paranoia began. Um, and mm -hmm. especially at that, at that point in time, when, uh, at least the general public knew so little about, yeah. you know, this, this novel coronavirus. And, um, did you, did you notice anything, um, in, in particular about, you know, sort of on a mass scale of how people were responding to what was happening? Badly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, was uh, it, it definitely is, is a good example of kind of, you know, society, the whole world in some respects kind of going mad. You kind of look at just, we made the joke about the hoarding of toilet paper, but you know, you kind of think about it, like going into a pandemic and you, uh, um, you think about, well, the hand sanitizer makes sense and, you know, the you know, disinfectant kind of makes sense for people to kind of hoard that stuff. But, you know, toilet paper, I mean, is there no real reason to think that society is going to crash to the extent that we won't have toilet paper. But it's an interesting example because I, I remember this happening. I remember like watching this video of it was, you know, two women, I think, you know, this might have been like late February before it really became clear just how bad things were going to be. And uh, they, these women were just sort of fighting over, you know, one one individual had, you know, stacked her shopping cart just full of, of toilet paper and the other woman just wanted one roll. And of course it started getting into very something very close to a physical confrontation. And like a dummy, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, these people are, you know, we're not gonna have to worry about toilet paper. This is a stupid thing to worry about in a pandemic. Um, what I kind of fail to realize is once you know, a small percentage of people start to do that, you know, mm -hmm. start to hoard something, even if it's ridiculous, even if there's no good rational reason to hoard that, then a second wave of people are going to come behind that and say, well, the first wave is hoarding this, so we should probably hoard it too. Otherwise, and then a third wave will watch them do it. And eventually, everybody has to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so even if, you know, you, you kind of like, you know, my situation, you start off kind of going, well, that's kind of, you know, we don't have to worry about 
you know, I'm not gonna run out of toilet paper. Uh, so, soon enough, we are running out of toilet paper. And then we all had to be like, oh, you know, I had to go along with it, you know, too. Um, yeah, so some of those, some of that stuff, you know, looking at how society, you know, responded to the, the pandemic, the whole, you know, debate over, you know, our masks tyranny, you know, uh, the whole thing about, you know, sort of the, the, the George Floyd killing and, and the reaction to that. I mean, all these things are kind of woven together in, in some respects, you know, and yeah, I mean, the reality is, is that people don't always know how to interpret information, how to deal with an extreme event like, like this pandemic. And I think it kind of showed, even with, even with the leadership of the country and, you know, a lot of countries that there's a lot of uh, even psychology. I mean, initially, the, the the reaction from a lot of psychologists was, you know, in in the popular press when they would, you know, talk to reporters who do not op eds, were kind of like, you know, don't worry about it. This people always overestimate the risk of uh, pandemics and diseases, and and you know, so so even as psychologists, we don't look real good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, kind of coming out of this. At, at what at what point does um, at what point is it technically a mob or like mob mentality? You know, because I'm, I, I had a joke where I was saying, you know, I, I don't like, I don't like parades or riots. I, uh, I don't, I don't like very large gatherings of people with a parade. People were hanging around, like actually waiting for action. And I almost feel like uh, when it comes to like that instant before a riot, it's sort of, there's something that's going to happen to just set, to just set things off. Um, uh, maybe you talk, talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, kind of like mobs happen under like you know, two circumstances I can kind of think of off the top of my head. One is when any given individual doesn't really know what the right thing to do is. And mm-hmm. so they start to look around and try to figure out what everybody else is doing. And, and two, when there's a sense of, well, I don't have any personal responsibility in this, you know, that um, I'm just part of the crowd. And so, you know, nobody's going to pick me out of the crowd necessarily. So we kind of can lose our individuality. Uh, in those situations, but there's a lot of you know psychology experiments that kind of look at you know how people behave, you know when they're in a group, and you know there's there's these studies where they kind of set like one person up to be in a group of people, and all the other people are in on the experiment, right? And these other group, these other people will do something or say something that is obviously ridiculous or untrue, and that other that one person who's not in on it, you know, who really is the actual participant, will tend to kind of go along with what the crowd is uh doing we tend to kind of conform uh to what everybody else is doing and and it can become worse if you will uh if there's a moral component to it so if there's a sense of like you're a bad person if you don't do what everybody else um you know is doing and i kind of remember like you know again the early days of the of the of the pandemic i think it was the uh the nba i'm not a big sports person at all Uh, my wife actually uh, uh, in fact, my wife is watching a hockey game right now. She's a big sports person. Um, but uh, so I remember it was, you know, again, so like early March, mid-March, somewhere in there, and the NBA canceled their season, right, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, and that probably was the right thing to do. I mean, I'm not a public health person, so I'm not doubting that at all. But, but once they did it, it was very clear that, like, everybody else was going to have to cancel everything, too, uh, at that point. Not in the sense of public health, but nobody wanted to be you know, the, the get that guy who waited, you know, uh, right, for more right. information and then somebody died, you know, which is understandable. I'm not, yeah, I'm not questioning that decision, but when there is that kind of pressure, uh, then you can get, you can see people kind of like go with the flow because they don't want to seem like they're bucking the moral trend, if you will. You know, it's, it's so, it's so interesting that 
that you bring up that that experiment about I guess it would be kind of like a conformity experiment because mm -hmm. I remember I was in grade school and we went on a school trip and I forget where we went exactly but um, the whole class was basically sitting in a circle and me and my best friend um, uh, my best friend Reggie who both of us actually happen to have the same birthday as well February 26th it's coming up ladies and gentlemen um, we were told to leave the room right um, so we left we, we left the room then we came back and then there were a series of questions that that were asked and the response was if if you believe it was true you're supposed to raise your hand mm -hmm. and something I noticed and I don't remember what the exact questions were but the uh, the answer was was wrong it was just flatly wrong you know it was like the idea of you know, it's a it's a bright sunny day, and then and then everybody in the room is saying yes, it's raining outside, and they raise their hand, and we we're looking around, and I was really uh, and you know I was a kid, I didn't know what was what was going on, um, but I like to you know I'm happy to say that I I passed without conforming to the herd, and and my and I think my my friend did uh, as well. It might have been that maybe the two of us were kind of looking at each other like this doesn't this doesn't <laughs> seem right, uh, and it was only after that that I guess um, the um, um, the, uh, you know, the purpose of the, uh, of the test was, you know, was, was told to us, but it, it, it is really interesting, uh, you know, how that, you know, how that happens. And I, and I find it, you know, sometimes, um, I spend a lot of my life on, on social media and sometimes I'll come across say like a post and I'll say, oh, I agree with that, but hold on. Let me see the person posting this. Let me see <laughs> what they have in their bio to see if they're, you know, they're a true ally and, and all that. And that's such a, it's, it's, it's odd, but I get it. And it kind of makes sense. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know how to, how to fight against that on a mass scale in particular. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tricky these days too. I mean, you're talking about social media because of course, you know, at least we're seeing some anecdotal examples of people that are being judged for exactly the same thing, you know, that, you know, you end up liking, so you, you see a random post comes by and they say, I enjoy chocolate cake, you know, and you, and you hit, you know, retweet. Uh, and it turns out it was, you know, I don't know, the, the, the Nazi party president, you know, I don't know, you know, so some <laughs> horrible human being, right? And uh, you know, it ends up being like, oh, you retweeted, you know, the, you know, <laughs> the, the horrible human being. Yeah, because he said he liked cake, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, I didn't know who he was, you know. Um, so that is a thing. I mean, there is this kind of like weird currency now, particularly in social media, um, you know, and social media works very differently from the way the real world does. But, you know, there is this kind of sense of like, you do have to almost be careful not to like or retweet something from the wrong person. And uh, even though in many situations, we may not really, you know, I, I see these kitten videos, you know, that pop up on Twitter every so often. I like cats, you know, mm -hmm. um, so I'll like retweet these cat videos. But yeah, I don't know. Is it like the Communist Party of China that's sending out kitten videos? I don't know. I, I, mean, I mean, you're probably wise. I don't really even check, you know. <laughs> uh, so people are going to be you know, accusing me someday of like, oh, you enjoy communist kittens. Okay. So, uh, you know. <laughs> well, well, I know I know in your um, in, in your book, you talk about uh, specifically uh, how social media is amplifying the fringes. Um, as long as you've been teaching, you know, what have you noticed? Or what, what impact has social media had? on uh, what's going on. 
Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, so it's interesting. I think people tend to worry about the wrong things about social media. So you hear a lot about, you know, the idea that kids are on social media too long and that's causing suicide and mental health problems. And there's actually not really strong evidence for that. The idea that, you know, at least, you know, spending time, you know, if you're looking at time spent as a variable, there doesn't seem to be much evidence to suggest that time spent in social media necessarily is causing like teen suicide or mental health problems or, or things like that. Now, what you do with it, I mean, if you, you know, it, it, depending upon the kind of activities you're engaged in, if you're you know, doom scrolling for hours and hours, that might be a little bit different. Uh, but what, what, uh, what is that speaking, doom, doom scrolling? What is <laughs> doom scrolling? Okay, so I have to like try to define one of these internet terms now. Uh, doom scrolling is basically when you kind of like keep looking through social media and you're upset about something and you keep looking for more information about that thing you're upset about. Like, mm. you know, I don't know. Uh, they've, uh, you know, they've, they've canceled your favorite television show and you're just like super, super upset. And you just keep looking for more and more information about, are they going to bring it back? No. You know, what about now? Are they going to bring it back now? No, it's only been like half an hour. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm using a very mild example of that. Sure. But that can be over any, any major event, you know, politics, you know, whether you're following Trump or Biden, all that kind of stuff, just look at, you know, rather most of us want to say like, we're not having fun. So we break off and go do something else. This is like really like causing more anxiety and stuff. But, you know, some people sometimes when they get on social media, will just keep doing it. They'll just keep looking for more and more information or they get into an argument. And rather than just saying, you know what, this is a stupid fight on Twitter and I really, it's really ruining my day or my weekend or whatever else I just stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They'll just keep doing it, you know, without, Well, 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 there is a, uh, there, there's obviously a mental component to it, but that that mental component has a physical uh, as a uh, there's a physical side effect to that too. I, I I've, I've been really amped up and uh, and angry online, and there's a part of me that likes it. It's like, ooh, you, you know, I'm, I'm I'm really enjoying this. I, I had a, the other day I had to pull myself back from really laying into this this woman I went to high school with. You know, it's like, oh, I could have really just, you know, you know, just laid into her on on Facebook. But uh, fortunately, there were, you know, was, uh, be better angels of my nature were able to pull yeah. me back from the brink. <laughs> yeah, we, that, that's good. I mean, you know, the hope is that more and more people will do that. But yeah, there is this sense of, I mean, we're an aggressive species. We like aggression. I mean, I think what you're kind of talking about is exactly, yeah, that it's easy to get drawn into it. Uh, because there's a part of this that I think like inherently likes to defeat someone else, you know, and especially uh, if we're on social media, we're not seeing the other person, they belong to some other camp or tribe or whatever that we already don't like. It can very you know, easily feel like we get drawn into these, what are really, are, if you think about stupid fights, but you mm -hmm. know, at the, at the moment you feel like you're like stopping the communists or stopping the Nazis. I mean, there is this kind of rhetoric around a lot of these stupid internet fights. And um, I think, you know, in the moment, people sort of earnestly think it's true. Um, but that kind of comes down to like, I, again, I don't think that the real problems with social media are, you know, causing mental health problems, but there is this sense of, you know, a lot of these, you know, the models seem to be built on this idea of throwing the most, you know, emotionally evocative things in front of us, you know, and getting us to react to that and then keeping us involved in those sorts of activities. And there is this sense of, um, it, it can amplify, I mean, the people that are most prone to doing this is kind of, you know, is, are people that likely have uh, some struggles in their, in their personal life, or, you know, in their mental health or whatever else. That's something sometimes to think about when we're actually engaging in some of these stupid internet fights mm -hmm. with someone 
we may not know um, is that they may be really struggling with some some issues and you know grinding them into the ground may not be the kindest thing uh, for us to uh, you know to do but but it also can give these more extreme voices on either side of any given debate the perception like they speak for a majority you know that mm -hmm. if they are the ones that you know companies are hearing or um, politicians are hearing or other groups of people are hearing uh, then there is this sense of, and that kind of comes down back to this, like mobbing on Twitter. And so, you know, people react to it. They say, like, all these people on Twitter are angry about something. So it must be something that's worth being angry about. And oftentimes that's, you know, 1% of people on Twitter, which is something like, I don't know, was it like 5% of people in the real world? You know, so it's a very, very narrow uh, opinion that has this, you know, amplified sense of power in uh, in real life uh, so that i think is part of the, the 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 trouble that we're having with social media now is the extent to which companies politicians and stuff are taking twitter seriously and think that like if um there was a, a book uh, abigail schreier's uh what was it called uh god i can't remember the name of it all of a sudden uh, irreversible damage it was about you know trans individuals and stuff and and uh you know, there, there are a couple people, I mean, there are a lot of people don't like the book, you know, uh, people consider, some people consider it to be transphobic and stuff, and that's fair. Uh, but uh, some people try to get a banned, you know, by posting through things to Target on, on Twitter, uh, or at least when I say banned, I mean that Target, Target wouldn't sell it at any rate. Mm -hmm. um, and initially Target went with that, you know, a few people kind of complained on, on, on Twitter. So Target initially, you know, said that they weren't going to sell the book anymore. And then there was a backlash and then they decided to sell it again. Um, but there is that sense of like a few people get angry on social media and that can have some real impacts on the rest of us, um, you know, in ways that are large and, you know, and small. And I think that's really going to be like the biggest, one of the biggest things, in, in addition to, of course, the, you know, the various privacy issues that have been going on for a while. And just the fact that, you know, how much power these big tech providers have over speech right now. I think those things are going to be like the main issues, the main challenges we're going to have with social media not so much this idea that teenagers are committing suicide or becoming depressed because of their time on social media. Wow. So there seems like there's nothing good where it's like, if the best that we could hope for is that teenagers aren't committing suicide, like, all right, great. Fan fantastic. And then it's like, oh man, what, what, uh, you know, what, what comes next? Um, so you write your book. Um, it's released in March, 2020. Holy shit. So much has happened between the release of your book and now, uh, if you had to go back and like rewrite stuff, or if you have to write a new forward or something like that, what are some, you know, what are some things that you're, that you need to, uh, that you need to address? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously 2020 is going to be a special year in yeah. history. There's no question about that. You know, it's certainly in my lifetime, you know, I, I, I think like everybody for as long as I can remember, I've always said like, you know, oh, 2017 was the worst year. I can't wait for 2018. Uh, now I was like, well, I, I love 2017, you know, at this point, I wish I could go back to that. Um, so everybody kind of thinks like, you know, any given year is the worst year ever. I, th I think 2020 is going to be a hard one to, uh, <laughs> at least within the last 50 years or so, uh, it's going to be a hard one to compete with. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of terrible things happen. I mean, and I think a lot of them really kind of draw back to COVID-19. I mean, I think that a lot of the things that did happen, even other events that were traumatic or uh, were negative, uh, all of them kind of draw back to some extent to, to COVID-19. If you kind of look at like the, you know, the events after George Floyd's killing and 
in um, late May, uh, you know, the protests, the riots, the looting, you know, however you want to kind of define that. I, 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 my suspicion is that a lot of that also reflected some of the, um, you know, the anxiety, the, the, mm -hmm. the angst of being isolated, you know, frustrations over uh, unemployment and such that came out of, after COVID-19. So it's, it's hard to say definitively, you know, but my guess is that, you know, the reaction to um, George Floyd's killing might have been different had COVID-19 not been going on at the same time. And, and same thing with the presidential election in, in, uh, in November. You know, it's, again, it's hard to know if it hadn't been for COVID-19, would, you know, Donald Trump have been reelected? I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. I'll be very upfront. And, and, and well, say you that. have to say that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anywhere <laughs> you go, you must, you must, say, you must make that very clear. That's <laughs> <laughs> a reflex now. It's like, <laughs> cough, I hate Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, uh, but I, I'm, I, I'm in print, you know, kind of saying that already. So I, I'm pretty well established. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that he would have certainly had a much better chance of, of having been reelected in, in 2020 mm -hmm. uh, had the COVID-19 you know, epidemic not have happened. If that happened, if that didn't, ha if he got reelected, then there wouldn't have been the whole controversy about, you know, him claiming that the election was stolen, the January 6th, you know, uh, mobbing of the, of the Capitol, so on and so forth. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, yeah, you would have been working. Yeah, you would have been working with because um, I think up, up until uh, up until, you know, COVID hit, I think like the economy was booming and unemployment was was very low. And um, just to go back to piggyback to go back about um, about the uh, the unrest after, you know, the, the killing of, of George Floyd. Uh, it is an interesting case, too, because that that killing seemed like something that both the left and the right were united on. Like I remember seeing, uh, you know, very much, you know, blue lives matter people saying, whoa, yeah. what, what happened here was wrong. So it's sort of like for that to be the powder keg that, you know, blew this up. It's like, like, wow, you know, I think uh, the people being stuck inside unemployment, all, all, all of that had, had so much to, uh, to, to do with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a complicated situation. I, I think it'll take time for people to really kind of parse out. I mean, you know, I mean, one of the things people are kind of like talking about now is, is, uh, you know, one of the things it just, I think in the last few days even came out that the, um, you know, the homicide rate for 2020 was much higher um, than it went up, I think they're saying like 20, 25%, which is a, a, a massive jump. Uh, this is a preliminary data, of course, you know, and, and already there's the arguments about like, well, what, you know, what caused it? Was it COVID-19 that, you know, resulted in, you know, higher homicide rates, you know, because people are kind of stuck together and, um, you know, you get some increase in domestic homicides and that kind of stuff. Or was it, you know, the sort of pullback of police after the George Floyd's killing? And, you know, of course it's complicated, right? It's not necessarily any one thing or any other thing. It's probably a complicated mix of these things, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there is this kind of like parallel universe somewhere where COVID-19 didn't happen. And, and I think it would be, I think we still have some of the struggle, some of the culture, um, culture war stuff was, was happening, obviously, before COVID-19. But I, th I think COVID-19 made everything more acute uh, mm -hmm. for, for people. And it gave people a lot of time is the other thing, you know, because of unemployment, you know, so people had a lot more time to protest uh, or to get involved in various social cultural issues on either side, you know, yeah. um, you know, so because people didn't have jobs yeah, and they were frustrated. I, they wanted to go outside. I, you know? I, I, I was, um, I'm definitely not the only person that was disappointed where I thought maybe this would bring, 
maybe this would bring people together. Maybe if people had more time, if maybe if people, you know, had to uh, really ponder uh, mortality and their existence, that it really would uh, would change. But then it's like, nah, man, you got you got endless scrolling on your phone. You know, you don't need that. There, there's no. There's no, uh, there's no mortality when you could just keep, you know, keep scrolling. There's no, there's yeah. no reason to really, uh, you know, to, to look into that stuff. But, but you bring up a really good point about, you know, when people are going to, you know, look back on 2020 or the years leading up to it, uh, it's complicated. But I'm wondering, you know, are we going to be able to actually have a nuanced conversation that takes, you know, that that, that takes stock of all the complexity? You know, uh, are we are we able to, to do that? Because um, an, an example of something something uh, something recent, uh, you know, a little while uh, a little while ago, I remember where uh, people were being called conspiracy theorists for saying, "Oh, you know, it, it seems like coronavirus might have been grown like made in a lab. Like it, it might mm-hmm. it might be that." And people are, "You're a cons- you know, you're out of your mind, conspiracy theorists. You're watching too many movies." And now apparently that hypothesis is, is gaining like real traction with legit people and like, hey, you know what, it, it, it has all these markers of something that that could have been lab made, whether it was, you know, released into the, you know, into the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, into the world, uh, you know, who, who knows, but, but, but it's like, wow, look at that flip, you went from only, the, only nutcases could possibly fathom this to, oh, you know, we might want to check that out, especially for yeah. future, you know, for future stuff that might happen. Well, it can be really hard to sort of parse things in the moment, you know, when, mm-hmm. when people are going through it. I mean, kind of like the, 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 the only other parallel really in my lifetime was the you know, 9-11, you know, 2001 uh, sort of sort of event. If you kind of think, you know, how people, and, and granted, society responded very differently, you know, to that. You were talking about like unity, right? You know, and there was, it was like enormous unity. Uh, after 9-11, which we didn't see after COVID-19. Uh, so it's a very, very different reaction uh, to that. Now, some of that unity after 9-11 wasn't good mm-hmm. uh, because we ended up with the Iraq war uh, and stuff. And there really was, I mean, it's kind of one of the things that was interesting about like 9-11 is at the time there was a lot of pushback that you couldn't challenge the president, you couldn't challenge the government, you know, that you couldn't worry about like, you know, this the, the Patriot Act and the, the concerns about the security state. It's called the, the Patriot back. Act. How can how can you you'd be unpatriotic to uh, exactly how, even how can you not like something called the Patriot Act, right? right? This is the this is the genius of politics, right? Is you know you can have a I don't know a bill that like you know raises taxes and you know slaughters kittens and makes slippers out of them, and if, as long as you call it the I Love Children Act, then you know it's going to be really hard for people to yeah. you know kind of challenge. And, and that. Chris so Ferguson will not be liking those on on Twitter. <laughs> He's he likes cats. He doesn't like cat cat uh, uh, mittens and and what. Yeah, <laughs> I will not support the anti kitten act. Yeah, Thanks. true. Um, but uh, but there was this you know conformity, right? There really was this pressure to you know, and we do. I don't think that. You know, it's, it's been nearly 20 years, but just about 20 years. Yeah, in September, uh, you know, and I think now we can kind of look back and after 20 years and get some sort of sense of like, oh, yeah, I guess we can kind of see what happened there and, and the problems it caused. We're still dealing with them, but, you know, sure. um, but uh, so I think it'll take you know, a while. I, I'm not going to say it's going to take 20 years, but it's, it'll take us a while. We have to get out of this sort of moment. Right? We have to get clear of COVID-19. And we have to come to some kind of new sort of consensus about stuff like, 
you know, how evil the United States is, you know, which is kind of like one of the big culture war, you know, things that are going on now, um, you know, and kind of get past this particular historical period. It's hard to judge it in the moment. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to take, you know, mm -hmm. to, to, to get out of that. But, you know, five, 10 years minimum, I'd say we can look back and kind of say, oh, yeah, now I can kind of see what happened in 2020. And, uh, you know, and we'll probably still be dealing <laughs> with, with the consequences of that uh, to some extent in, you know, five, 10 years, certainly. Yeah. Well, I, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm in therapy. I, I have a therapist. I've been going about, you know, once a week for, you know, quite a few years. And, um, for me, I think therapy has been, been very helpful. Um, just in, just in my own life, uh, where, um, I am forced to basically every week take stock and what happened in that week? How did I respond to, stresses or triggers and, and, and that sort of thing and try to figure out, okay, what's going on with me and why, you know, why am I responding uh, to that? And uh, there have been quite a few times where I've sort of like psychoanalyzed myself and I'm like, oh, this, like, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think I've been guilty of projection quite a bit where, mm -hmm. uh, so, so my wife and I were, uh, uh, we, we had an offer accepted on a house Right. Mm -hmm. And this comes after having just the, the worst experience ever trying to renovate a co-op apartment in Brooklyn. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't, don't get in a, don't get a co-op ever. Don't try to fix a co-op. Don't do it. Don't do anything. It's, it's the worst thing you could do to my life. And it happened. Um, and uh, the both of us, we were burned so hard, you know, so badly by like, everybody on that front so then moving into this into this this new venture of oh it's not an apartment it's going to be a house but also we need to fix it up so now we're wading again into sort of the unknown where it's like we're a little bit wiser but we're still not like construction workers we're still not uh, contractors and all that so we've been getting into these arguments and you know maybe i'm maybe i'm starting them and what i figured out was I am so like kind of pissed off at myself being like and, and feeling insecure about being fucked over that I'm sort of project. Uh, I see the same like sort of ignorance in my wife and I'm like pissed off at her for not, you know, so it's sort of like she's I'm seeing my own failings in my wife because she's not a fucking expert. So I'm kind of taking it out on her. And it took me I was like I had to be like whoa, thank God I'm able to, to actually see that where it's like, you know what? I got to be a lot, a lot nicer to her about it because mm -hmm. she's not the enemy, you know? Yeah. Um, thank you for, for sitting through my, my little, uh, <laughs> my, my little therapy session right now. So I, I bring that. $125 by the way. Yeah, well, thank you. Cheaper than the guy I go to. <laughs> um, but, but I, I bring that up in that, in that, I don't know how, so I'm, I'm, ha I'm struggling already just, uh, yeah, as an individual with, with the, the, the loved ones that I have with my small community, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of me trying to make sense of this much bigger, you know, macrocosm out there, I, I can't even wrap my, my, my mind around it. And I wonder if so many people are sort of spending their time trying to figure out, you know, the big stuff rather than taking care of the little stuff in their, in their, in their own lives. So that's my, roundabout way of, of getting to that. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things, of course, that's striking about this year in particular is for a lot of us, you know, to differing degrees, 
um, you know, and I, I want to say it's, it's going to be very different for, you know, people that, you know, are able to, you know, work from home as, as a lot of us have, but I've, I've been fortunate and that I've been able to teach online, which is, which is, which is good. But of course, a lot of people have lost their jobs. They're in much worse uh, situation. So, you know, we all probably feel some degree of powerlessness over the last year and some people obviously more than others. And I want to recognize that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of people respond badly when they don't feel like they're empowered uh, in, in session and, and people don't like not knowing stuff, you know? So, um, Oh my God, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> well, that's everybody. That's, that's yeah. an easy one. It's kind of like these horoscope, like psychology sessions, right. You know, where you say like, sometimes you like being around people and sometimes you like being alone. It's like, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's, that's me. You, yeah. know? <laughs> uh, you nailed it. You know, so that's how to be a good psychologist is just say platitudes. Um, but um no, I mean, so I think, a, you know, a lot of people sort of search for meaning in, in an event like this does come down to, you know, I mean, what, what has impressed me over this year, and I'm not like a super optimistic about like human nature necessarily, I'm not a pessimist either, but I'm sort of, I think of myself as fairly like a realist about it, um, is like, it's clear from this year that, that I, you know, I sometimes joke, like I've really like overestimated people's ability to like look at data and make like mm. rational decisions. I mean, this, this year was like an, an emotional outpouring uh, and really sort of defined by fear and anger and, and confusion uh, and such. And, you know, and I, I don't know that I could have, you know, be honest, I don't think I would have predicted it would have been like this bad mm. necessarily. Um, but, um, but I think part of it is, you know, when people are sort of disempowered, uh, they want absolute truths. They want simple answers, you know, for why things are the way that they are. They are. Like, if only we do X, then... The, the world be so much better. I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been kind of this, like I've done a lot of research on violence and video games and stuff. And, you know, of course, a big thing around there was this idea that violence and video games was attached to you know, mass homicides. And there's this mm -hmm. idea of like, if only we get rid of, uh, you know, there usually would be these like, you know, 70 year old, you know, dudes with a wave in their cane at a kid, you know, crossing their lawn or whatever. And it's like, if only we get rid of these video games, all these school shootings will just go away. And, uh, and, you know, and I have a kid, you know, and I remember when the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting happened, I was a shooting at an elementary school in, in uh, Connecticut. And uh, my kid was little at the time, he's 17 now. But uh, I remember thinking like, oh my God, I mean, just the idea of like, like I had to send my kid to school the next day. I walked right. him to school and the idea of like not getting him back at the end of the day is so disempowering. It really is a sense of right. like, you know, as a parent, you know, disempowering. Like, yeah, I mean, you want to like grab at something that will give you control uh, over a situation you can't control uh, is reality. Um, so people, I think, you know, will tend to glom onto, you know, moral absolute truths or sort of worldviews or narratives that try to explain everything that's happening. And, and the reality is, is that things are oftentimes much more complicated, much more nuanced. There are no clear bad guys, no clear good guys, you know, but that's not the world that most of us sort of gravitate towards. We want to know who, you know, we want to know who the Nazis are, you know, right. and if, if only we get rid of them or the communists, whatever. Uh, and if only we get rid of them, then the world will be peachy. At least that's the, the story we keep telling ourselves. Um, yeah. And it doesn't come true. Uh, yeah. And that can be frustrating too. You know, um, something that, uh, that I, I think I, like, like a lot of people, um, being stuck indoors, spent a lot of time watching uh, Netflix and watching basically any type of programming that, that they would they, they would throw in front of you. Um, 
And something that that I, my wife and I've been watching a lot of are just these like documentaries about serial killers, right? And I wanted to talk to you about it um, because it seems like all these serial killers, they all took place in the 70s. What the hell was going on in the 1970s where, you know, Son of Sam and, and, and all these other ones were basically running around, running free. I mean, you talk about, I mean, that's before, yeah. I mean, that, that's before, you know, the um, first person shooters, you know, were, mm-hmm. uh, were available video games. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, the, the thing about like crime is of course, you know, certain types, I don't know, how, I don't know a better way of putting it other than to say that certain types of crime uh, crimes are trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, in the news media is what I mean. I don't, I don't mean in terms of like people's you know personal preferences. It's really like the news media pick up on a particular narrative about crime, and then they try to to drive it. You know, so it wasn't true that there was suddenly mass or suddenly serial murder. Excuse me, uh, in the 1970s there were serial murders before. Uh, it's just that they didn't get much news attention. In fact, you know, because particularly a lot of the male killers were sort of sexualized. Uh, news media kind of stayed away from it because they didn't like talking about sex in the you know 40s and 50s and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but there there certainly were cases of serial murder. You know, essentially we can trace them back through history. But you know, so it's not a new phenomenon. Um, it's just that sort of news media and the FBI kind of together sort of like discovered it. Uh, it like like in the same sense you discover oxygen. It was there all the time. You just didn't notice it. Um, and so it became kind of popular to focus in on these uh, serial killers. Uh, they still exist today. Uh, they're still serial killers. They just don't get news media attention anymore. Uh, the way that the people moved on uh, to to mass homicides, uh, and then with a lot of these things, there's also moral narrative. I mean, so like serial murder, uh, to a large degree, fit into this narrative in the 70s and 80s about porn. So there was a lot of concern that porn caused you know sexual violence uh, towards women. And so if you look at a lot of the serial killers that got a lot of attention, they tended to be these male sexual predators, at least initially who were targeting um, women. And then only gradually did we see figure out that, well, there actually are a few, you know, maybe 10% of serial killers are female. And there actually are some like Jeffrey Dahmer who target other men um, and such. So it kind of gradually, you know, um, broadened out. At, at, at first, people thought it was mostly white men. Then eventually, people figured out, like with Wayne Williams, actually there are you know black men and Asian men, so it's not just whites um, that are doing it. We kind of gone through the same thing with mass homicides. Now it's about gun control. They're, they're, they, mass homicides are sort of a nice story to tell if, if you're concerned about gun control. Um, and kind of we went through a lot of the same kind of you know maybe it's about video games, you know, sort of like with the porn thing, or or maybe. Uh, I've seen people talk about, well, mass homicide perpetrators are mostly white, once again. Well, that's not true either. You know, their ethnic composition is about the same as the United States. Um, so, again, people tend to take these crimes and, you know, fit them into uh, a particular moral narrative that they're interested in. Uh, and news media kind of run with it. And the, and the problem with news media is we have we have something in in human psychology. It's called the availability heuristic, which basically means if you can remember something particularly if that thing is dramatic, you will overestimate how frequently it occurs. And of course, mm. airplane crashes are the classic example of that. You know, People tend to think that airplanes are much more dangerous than cars, even though the inverse is really true, uh, because people can remember airplane crashes. You know, they get a lot of news coverage. They're very dramatic. Hundreds of people die at the same time. It's scary. Um, and, and mass homicide was kind of like that. They're very, very rare. Uh, you know, they're not, most people who are going to get murdered are not going to get murdered in a mass homicide, you know, but they get a lot of news attention and that can create this sort of, 
you know, uh, availability heuristic. People overestimate the extent to which, you know, that phenomenon, uh, you know, occurs. And, and I think we are sort of getting tired of mass homicide a little bit. They're really, you know, of course, 2020 was everybody's isolated. So there wasn't mm -hmm. any place to go where there were crowds anyway. So there, were, there really weren't very many mass homicides in 2020. Um, but I mean, I think there are some trends, even when we talk about like race and policing that you can kind of see some of the same issues is that you know, there's, a, you know, there's a narrative now and, and news media will kind of focus on specific cases and that can have a distorting effect on our understanding of uh, these crime uh, phenomena. So you do see crimes tend to go through waves of sort of moral trendiness because they fit into a particular moral concern that some portion of the populace has. Yeah, my, I often find anytime uh, I see somebody post like, um, if blank were blank, this would have happened. And it's like, oh, well, I could actually find exact cases where blank was blank and it did not happen or, you know, or, or any number of things that, 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 uh, um, you know, that, that, that catch the eye, you know, in the, uh, in the, in the public, um, uh, just going back to, um, the uh, serial killers uh, again because they're still you know still in, in, in still embedded in my mind um with netflix it's like the only way you know it's either you're gonna have a stand-up comedy special on netflix or a you know serialized uh docuseries about <laughs> uh, about serial killers so you sort of go bounce back and forth um you know i like you said that you know serial killers have, have have always been around and there was like sort of the uh the sexual element uh, they didn't want to touch back in the day so they sort of were a little more dormant was there a sort of a convergence of sort of sexual revolution and serial killers that sort of that popped uh, in the in history and came together yeah i, I think there was uh, yeah it did happen around that time where there's a much more liberal attitude towards sexuality that was going on in the 70s and um yeah, and I think, again, there also was this, it's kind of hard to believe now. I mean, people were really upset about porn in the 70s and mm -hmm. 80s. Yeah, there was this sort of, it was the golden age of porn, you know, VHS tapes were coming out, we can get your own porn, that kind of stuff, uh, particularly in the 80s. Um, and so people really were concerned about, you know, that impact. Uh, there were, you know, there was the, the Mies Commission, which is the Reagan administration's, you know, sort of hearings about, you know, pornography effects. So uh, I remember as a teenager growing up in the 80s, this was like, you know, like it was in the news all the time. It was a huge deal. Um, so I think that, you know, that phenomenon of these men who are predating on, you know, uh, at least it was thought initially, mostly women, um, that that would somehow tie in and, and has, you know, the essence was, you know, well, if only we could get rid of pornography, we could censor it, then these, these guys would not exist. You know, they're sort of built through a combination of probably abusive homes, but also mm -hmm. through their exposure to sexual media and such. And then kind of like the 90s happened and uh, like there was the internet and pornography just like was everywhere and everybody just kind of got used to it. Um, and so, I mean, you still find anti-porn crusaders, but they don't have as much of a voice anymore as they did back in the 80s. Um, and uh, I think I think the narrative just died. You know, the, mm -hmm. you know, basically everybody can get porn at any point they want to and the world didn't crack. You know, uh, that rape rates went down. Um, rather than uh, rather than up. domestic violence rates went down rather than up. Uh, and so I think that narrative eventually eroded. Um, now people don't ever really sort of, you know, uh, 
uh, exonerate anything. You know, nobody says like, hey, right. you know, for 20 years, we made you all upset about this thing. Turns out we were, <laughs> whoops, uh, you know, we were wrong. Uh, porn doesn't seem to have this effect on, on sexual violence, but then they just move on to the next, you know, which our culture just kind of moves on to the next thing. And now it's, you know, in the nineties, it was, there's a crime wave, right? So it was about gun control. And then it was just, things kind of moved on to mass homicides and, and- uh, Oh, uh, and, gang, gangster rap music. I think that, that was, prob was probably there, another yeah, thing. Yeah, there, a lot of a lot of moral panics about media in general. So there's always something, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, you can pick on media wise. Um, most of them turn out not to be true. Uh, most, or the yeah, the most recent one was 13 Reasons Why. People were linking that to teen suicide. Tens Dad has you know, no substantial impact on teen suicide rates at any any rate. You know, so you know it's hard to say. Does it, did it never have an impact at any teen anywhere? You can't say that. I mean, it's not how psychology research works. But in terms of like the aggregate effects, you know, on society, um, you know, we can pretty clearly say that you know teen suicide rates did not change as a, as a consequence of of uh, 13 Reasons Why. And uh, for people that teens that watch 13 Reasons Why are, if anything, less depressed and less suicidal than those that don't. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where things end. Um, and, and 13 Reasons Why, is that on is that Netflix or Amazon? Also on Netflix. Everything's on also, Netflix. Everything's, yeah. on, everything's on Netflix. So I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess it might, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, oh, why is it that, that it's less? Is it because they can afford to, to watch Netflix? But um, there's some things on Amazon Prime, too, but I can't think of anything. So. <laughs> So, so we're, I mean, you know, we're still, you know, still in the, uh, in the pandemic and I've been seeing um, a lot of people writing about suicide rates of teenagers during the pandemic. And for one, are suicides going up among teenagers? Uh, if so, uh, you know, are we, is there a chance we're seeing yet another, you know, uh, another freak out uh, where, where there might not be one? Probably some degree of freak out. We don't we don't have good numbers yet from the CDC on the suicide rates for 2020. Um, I mean, so we have some some preliminary numbers, and I've seen people go back and forth, and so I'm sort of agnostic at this point about. Yeah, I understand people's concern. I mean, I think the concerns were potentially valid. Mm -hmm. um, that you know, with isolation, social distancing, that you know, we may have seen a spike in mental health issues um, in everybody, not just teenagers. Um, but we don't have any evidence at this point that I'm aware of, at least not solid evidence, I don't think that would suggest that there has been a sort of spike yet uh, in teenage. Now, that might change, you know, mm -hmm. so that might change once we have clear data on what happened in 2020. Um, so suicide rates had in the United States, suicide rates had been going up anyway. Uh, for the last maybe five to eight years or so. And that's not um, specific to teenagers. Uh, mm. In fact, uh, middle, people my age, <laughs> so middle-aged adults uh, tend to have the highest suicide rates and had the highest increase in suicide rates uh, over the last uh, five to, uh, to 10 years. So this seems to be like the uh, the, the worst period of, of life. And, you know, when I talk to my students, um, I uh, sometimes half jokes, not really exactly joke. I, I'm actually a pretty happy person. I live a pretty good life, I, but I'll say like, I, I get it. I, un I understand why this phase mm. of life is like, you know, kind of a hard one uh, to some extent. All the safety nets are taken away and you're responsible for, you know, everybody, essentially, even your parents, you know. Right. You know, I have an elderly mother at this point and, you know, I'm responsible for her care uh, and such. And so it's a weird, it's a weird period of, 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 uh, of, uh, of life, you know, so and um, and if you are in that situation where, you know, the pandemic hits and you're, you know, knocked out of work and you have a family to feed and you have all these responsibilities, I mean, it must be a nightmare um, right. for people 
you know, so I, in some ways I would worry almost more about <laughs> middle-aged adults than I would teenagers. That's not to say I wouldn't worry about teens at all, of course. Um, but, uh, but there again, I think sometimes we look at things in isolation and don't look at the larger picture. So I think I kind of going back to this idea that like social media could cause teen suicide. People looked at this and said, well, teen suicide rates are going up. Uh, and, uh, and also like Facebook happened, you know, and mm -hmm. Twitter happened. People kind of make that like illusory correlation. Uh, and what they're not looking at is like, yeah, but like old people are really committing suicide a lot. Uh, and they're not high adopters of, of, I mean, some of them adopt, you know, social media, but generally speaking, they're not as high adopters of technology as, as teenagers are. So you have to look at the bigger picture, the wider picture, uh, or else, um, it's kind of like the, was it the five blind men with the elephant where they're each touching a part of the elephant and one thinks it's a snake. I don't know why, uh, you know, that, that whole story about if you only see part of the picture, you don't really understand the, the, the full scenario. And um, yeah, I think that's what we kind of do with a lot of things. We, it's confirmation bias, right? Is mm -hmm. the idea is you kind of using that example of if only X, then Y would happen, whatever. And we always look for the cases that fit, you know? Um, so like, again, with video games and, and mass homicides, people would look at, you know, cases like Columbine, you know, with 1999, two teenagers who played, you know, video games shot up their high school and say like, look, I mean, what more do we need to, to say? Like if I have, there's an anecdote, right? And the reality is that anecdotes are not evidence mm -hmm. uh, because you can find another, like Virginia Tech, it turned out he only played Sonic the, Hedge Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, he was not a violent video game player. The Sandy Hook. Um, you know, the guy I was talking about earlier, the you know, Connecticut shooter, he mostly played Dance Dance Revolution, you know, so people will tend to ignore those cases where, um, you know, an anecdote doesn't fit the narrative, and they'll focus only on these anecdotes that do fit whatever sort of worldview narrative that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's part of human nature, it's confirmation biases. We tend to pick the piece of evidence that support what we already think, and we either ignore or are very hostile towards pieces of evidence that don't fit our uh, worldview. And we all do it. I'm no exception, you know, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the desire to have a, you know, a simple explanation, um, it, it's sort of, okay, if, if, if it's easy for me to understand why this happened, maybe it's easier for me to grapple with it. But, um, but then the other, the other side of that is, uh, if you make these, these connections that are too simplistic, it could also have just a completely negative effect on you. Where, uh, I mean, we all know people who seem to be, um, you know, blaming every single thing that's gone wrong in their life on some outer outside force rather than sort of taking responsibility, um, responsibility for it. Um, and that's, that's a dangerous game to play where it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta be able to, uh, um, you know, confront even the, the hardest stories to, to, to tell and, and to accept. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually true too. And, um, you know, you, you, again, you can see this in psychology research is that, you know, if people, uh, succeed at something, then they tend to give themselves credit, uh, for that. And if they fail at something, it's usually something external, uh, that is the responsibility for why they, you know, they, they failed. Uh, so, um, you know, it's uh, sort of like a self-preservation bias. There's a word for it. Of course, I'm totally blanking on it, which is terrible for it as a psychology professor. Uh, it's, it's like one of the most basic terms in social psychology and I'm totally blanking on it. But uh, there is a sort of sense of like, you know, that's uh, the fundamental attribution bias. There we go, that's what it's called. Um, and, you know, we kind of like have the sense of like when we're successful, it's because of how great we are and how when we're 
failing, it's because of how crappy the world is. <laughs> mm. um, you know, so, um, and that's just kind of how, again, it's, it's a fundamental way that human nature works. And it, for most of us, preserves our sense of self-worth. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, in the short term, it's kind of a good thing. You know, in fact, if, when people don't do it and they invert it, that's not so great. You know, that's what people have like clinical depression tend to invert that process. And it's not a lovely thing. Um, so it's, it's fairly normal to process, but like a lot of sort of, you know, biases, if you will, or attribution errors, um, it can lead us into making bad decisions. You know, there, there are lots of ways that we're sort of programmed, our brains are programmed to try to make decisions quickly. Um, and, and usually those are adaptive. You know, there's a reason why we have those mechanisms, but they can lead us into mistakes, uh, particularly if we don't, open ourselves up to challenging our initial sort of knee-jerk reactions to things, you know? Um, yeah, I guess that's why sometimes it is good to yeah. slow down and get data before making a decision. Yeah, I was just about to, was just about to say, like if you're, you know, a, a hunter-gatherer on the, the Serengeti and you hear, um, a, you know, a rustling, uh, you're gonna take off because there's a good chance that there's a, you know, there's a lion there ready to eat your ass. But then, uh, but then you know, well, let's you know move forward you know tens of thousands of years and it's like maybe it's like no no uh there's no lion there uh there's no lion in the uh uh you know in your next door neighbor's uh backyard um maybe there's some other explanation for you know why x or y is happening uh, i should i should have these examples written out beforehand so they make more so they make more sense um well, well, you can see that in phobias. You can see that, like, you know, just real quickly, that, you know, like you said, I mean, there a lot of people are afraid of like snakes, right? You know, and not that many people are afraid of like cars or electricity, right. you know. And in the United States, at least, very few people are killed by snakes, you know. And a lot of the people that are kind of had it coming. I mean, they're like the guys that are drunk and they're picking up a rattlesnake and say, look, I got, I got, you know, yeah, you kind of had that one coming to you, but uh, not, that, not that we want you to be hurt, whatever, but, um, but, Whereas lots of people are killed by cars and lots of people are killed by, you know, electricity. So some of these things are evolved, you know, reactions to things, you know, 10,000 years ago, you get bitten by a snake that was a rattler or a viper or something like that. You're doomed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so having that sort of instinctive reaction to those things is good. Um, even though nowadays it's just sort of, you know, you're going to the zoo and you just feel creepy because you're looking at all the snakes and it doesn't really help you anymore. When you're teaching like kids, right. Um, do you ever, maybe you're not allowed to talk about it. I don't know if, you, if, 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 do you ever notice something like a problem uh, in like a, in a student and you're like, Ooh, I think they could, they could use some help. Well, what is that relationship like? I, uh, do you go around, you know, sort of like psychoanalyzing every, every person you interact with uh, to a certain extent, or um, are you able to, um, you know, to brush that off, uh, you know, put, put, put that aside? Yeah, you can, for the most part, you can brush it off. I mean, I, I was sort of joke of, you know, I'd have to charge all these people like I almost did with you the $125 an That's hour. Right. So like, you know, asking a mechanic, you know, do you go around fixing people's cars randomly, you know, or something like that. So, um, no, but sometimes you, I mean, you, you do get some insights, you know, perhaps, and I think they're you know, for, and again, I can't speak for all therapists. Some therapists really may be just fascinated with this idea of like, let me just dissect random people and think of like what they would be like in therapy. Um, for me, it's more of, you know, that doesn't happen like for everybody necessarily, but sometimes when you interact with somebody, you can get the sense of like, huh, 
I've met this sort of person before mm-hmm. and here's what I can expect from them, you know, kind of a thing. So you can, you can kind of get that a little bit uh, from people because you, you will see like people's behavior fits into patterns um, and the way that some people may introduce themselves to you or talk to you in initial conversation, you know, can give you some predictions about what they might do in the future. They're not all bad, you know, but in some cases they're like, you know, uh, I don't know if I, you know, if I would trust this person, you know, with mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> it usually ends up being, you know, that they they get caught doing something, you know, unfortunate uh, at some point in the future. Yeah, so. it's uh, it could, it's really tough when you know somebody and you care about somebody, and you find out that their partner is basically a con man, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, ooh, that's not gonna that's not gonna end well, you know. It's like. Um, it, it, it's, it's sort of like you can't put that back. You can't put that put that back in the box. You know, it's just it, it's it's sort of uh, there. I've said too much. Uh, Lou knows someone who's a con man. Um, will <laughs> he? Re- yeah, will will he reveal his identity? Um, at this point, we're gonna head over to uh, theluperez.locals.com for an extended conversation. I'm with uh, Chris Ferguson and. He's the author of How Madness Shaped History. So definitely go uh, pick that out. Pick that up. (laughs) 